0: So, my name is Candace Alcoholic. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and, and spend uh, tonight with you. I appreciate it, and we'll hang out a little bit because we're doing a panel tomorrow. But uh, of course, there's no way I cannot thank my friend Angela for the invitation, my buddy Heidi. Um, you know Tracy I mean I have friends here and before I start talking let me just get my time together okay so uh, they said I have three hours are you ready (laughs) they're like you have three we have one anyway so uh, so it was uh, I think it was 2011 and I was invited to do an all-step weekend and Tracy was chair, and so she was giving me the description, and it sounded like camping, and uh, I don't camp, and so I will be of service, but not in a camp-like situation. So I asked her, is this camping? And she said, oh, no, no, it's not camping, right? Okay, so... That was like a year before, and then I was on some big group email thread. So as it got closer, the emails were like sleeping bag. And so, you know, so I would email. You sure it's not camp?" Nope, not camping. A couple of more emails, and then maybe like three weeks before it was, and remember, don't bring food to the cabin because of the bears. And so I was not okay. And so... Uh, was not feeling spiritual anyway. So I call my friend Teresa, who apparently had spoken there the year before. And I asked her, because Tracy goes, Do you know Teresa? I said, Oh, we're really good friends. She goes, Call Teresa. She was here last year. So I call Teresa. I said, Teresa, I'm doing this all 12 step weekend where I take everyone through the steps all weekend in Vancouver. They said you were there last year. I have one question for you. Is this camping? Teresa said, to them, no. To us, yes. (laughs) So I literally, you know, you got to show up for AA. You know, you can't cancel at the last minute. And and I was so ready to not have a good time. I'm going to tell you something. It was one of the best weekends uh, of the experiences that I've had like this in Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know why? Well, let me just say this other thing. My friend Nadine flew in with me on her own because she's like, oh, I love camping. I was like, ugh. And so uh, (laughs) we were going to do the buddy system, right? Because the bathroom was up the road. And so the agreement, okay, very important. The agreement was if one has to use the restroom, wake the other up and we will walk together. Um, And so I woke her up at like two and she turned over. You know what I mean? The betrayal. The betrayal. The betrayal. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't get eaten. I'm still here. But uh, that weekend was so amazing. It was so intimate. I mean, how many women were there? Like 100? 80? I mean, that's a, you know. And so there was just like a, a couple of... I don't know, it was a group of us that just really bonded and we stayed in touch. And so when I was here a few years ago, the girls came to support me when I was talking at another conference. And then when I got the call from aunt, like that just means everything to me. So I already knew I got all cute and everything. You know what I mean? Cause I said, I'm gonna see my friends. And so um, it's just wonderful. If you are new, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we develop friendships here. You know, like it's, there's intimacy in that. I used to think when I was hooking up, right, in relationships there was intimacy. No, it was not. I was passing through, right? <laughs> But these are my these ladies are my friends. We've seen each other at different times. We saw each other at the international and Atlanta. I mean, like we are friends, and so it means a lot to me to even be thought of. Thank you so much again, Angela. And then Lauren, I have to give a shout out. Uh, what? A, thank you to the committee uh, as well for allowing me to come and participate. I had a beautiful gift basket, and Lauren uh, did a sketch of me. I was like Samantha. Samantha. I can't draw. Oh lauren <laughs> stop trying to take credit uh lauren <laughs> so competitive in aa and i'm kidding <laughs> Samantha did this beautiful uh, sketch, and it's—I mean, like it's lovely. And I sent it to my babies, and so the the women and in me, because I also sponsor non-binary and transgender. Uh, so we have a family thread, and I sent them. I took a picture, and I said, "Look at how beautiful this is." they were like, "Oh, it's so beautiful," you know, and just—it's already an enchanting and a magical weekend, and it's in stark contrast to before I came to you. Right Before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I have to share that. It's important so I can stay grounded because my disease will say it was always like this. No, it wasn't. People say things like there are no big deals in AA. That's not true. There are a lot of big deals. Being sober, I was looking at the countdown and then you got down to 24 hours. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, especially if you're the type of drunk that I am. I drink no matter what. I don't care what the consequences are, because the relief or the, the possibility that I can have five minutes of relief is worth it to me to risk everything. And so the fact that I have put several 24 hours together, in a, it's a big deal. It's, my sobriety date is August sixteenth, 1995, it's the only date I've ever had. And so what that means is that over the years that I've been here, many things have had to change in order for my date to remain the same. I've had to come here and be willing to surrender behaviors and belief systems that would not support me staying with you continuously. When I got sober, I was rocking a different look mm, that I'm rocking right now. (laughs) I feel that we're gonna be close, I'm gonna let you in, right? So when I got sober, I was 96 pounds. We are not 96 now, that's why we're Peblum, you know what I mean, I have to suck it in. And uh, so, 96 pounds, because I would drink, enhance my drinking with just a couple of things that kept me up for eight, nine days at a time. And I was very alert during that period. A nutritious meal for me would be a Snickers bar every three or four days, like an energy bar, right? When I got sober, I was missing my front tooth. Ooh, what happened? Uh, What happened is I shared an opinion and it was not supported. That's what happened. But it never stopped me from talking. Yeah. No one puts baby in a corner. You know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, when I got sober, I didn't have a strand of hair on my head because when I drink, things join me and they live in my hair. And I know they do, because every time I got drunk, they would be like, ooh, what you doing, you know? And so I remember telling my friend, I was on a drunk ride, and I told her, I said, there's something in my hair. She was visibly alarmed. She leaned back. She asked me, how do you know? I said, because while we were talking, they ran from this side to that side, right? She didn't give me a direction per se. She shared information that I embraced. She said, "You know, rubbing alcohol will sterilize anything." She never said, "Go to the store, purchase a bottle of rubbing alcohol, and pour it all over your hair," but I think we all agree it was implied. <laughs> I remember getting the bottle of rubbing alcohol. I'm getting my drunk on, and so I, for me, the traditions have always been a working part of my life, even before I was sober. Because what I did is I took a group conscience, okay, and I sat everybody down, you know, and it was more of a dictatorship than a group conscience, but I told them, I said, look, I know, I know you're up there. It's okay, you can stay, but I'm going to sterilize you, right? And so... What I would do, and it, it sounds odd now, but if you were like there, you would know it sounded perfectly reasonable. And so <laughs> what I would do is I would pour rubbing alcohol all over my scalp. It was very soothing in the beginning. It was like a meditation of sorts. And then after a while, they began to get aggressive, right? So I had to get aggressive. So I took a pair of scissors and I cut off all of my hair, but new friends, half measures avail us, nothing. And so I took a shaver and I shaved all of my hair, off. to the scalp. I would wear t-shirts on my head as if they were fashionable turbans making my own statement you know and and I'll tell you something a good day a good day would be a t-shirt that had a swirl of color in it like a hint you know what I mean a whisper and uh, and so here's the thing because I know what you're thinking I know what I can see it especially over here I could feel it you're like ooh, bald-headed and toothless ooh right I know you're thinking it. Don't play, right? and so uh and so the <laughs> you sexy thing you, and so uh, I feel you, so uh, I see you, right so uh <laughs> the thing is. The beauty, silver lining, right, of coming into Alcoholics Anonymous in that condition is that you are then in much less danger of being (laughs) 13-step. So, uh, no one wanted what I had, right? Except for one. There's always one something. They know you have potential. They know you are not always going to look like that. So they want bragging rights. They want to be able to say, I knew her when she didn't have a tooth. You know what I mean? (laughs) And the thing is this. I got sober at 28 years old. I am 52. And I looked older then than I do now. That's how I was living out there. I don't ever want to forget that because here's the thing, you know, we are asked to share in a general way what happened to us to bring us into Alcoholics Anonymous in a surrendered state. But you already know, if I'm giving you that description of me as an adult woman, you already know what I have to do in order to keep it going out there. So for me, I can't just come into Alcoholics Anonymous and get it hooked back up. I have to do a lot of work. This is, what we're talking about tonight are things lipstick can't fix. There is nothing worse than looking pretty and feeling ugly. Because if I don't come in here and I'm not spiritually reorganize. What's going to happen is I'm never truly going to be able to have friendships. I'm never going to stand shoulder to shoulder because there's always going to be that they think they're better than me or I don't measure up and then I'm trying to overcompensate and that creates uh, behavior born out of desperation and that's always dangerous. And so I'm grateful to the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know I was um, participating at a conference uh, uh, maybe two months ago in Crested Butte, Colorado, and it's a five-day conference. I was there for seven, and while I was there, I climbed a mountain. What is that about? You know why it's funny, because I'm afraid of heights. Oops, okay, so what happened is I said every day that I was there, I was going to go hiking, right, because I, I jog, and I do these stairs in Culver City and L.A., and and so I'm like, I'm going to go hiking, and the second day uh, there were a group of people, they were going to do like a short hike and then have a meeting. So I was like, oh, I want to go, right? So we hike and they said the weather may turn so anyone who's going to go up to the mountain. So we were already at 9,000 feet elevation. Anyone who's going to go up to the mountain, you better go now. So there were a group of people They're like, we're going. And I was like, I want to go. It's like an Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, people hear you talk and they run up to you, you. You sponsor me. I want what you have. You know, and you're like, I want going to read the book. What? You know, so I want to go to this mountain, but I forget like there's work involved in like getting up this hill. So anyway, we start, you know, trekking up the mountain and at some point there's rocks and you're literally and I have done indoor rock climbing quite a bit. So I'm climbing the rocks and and I literally got maybe two minutes away from the top of this mountain and I froze. My whole body seized up. I could not move. I could not go any further And I just had to surrender, I just sat down. I couldn't do anything. And so I I made a selfie video you know, saying I'm okay with not going to the top and, you know, self-care and just every buzzword you could think of. I put in that video to be gentle with myself. And and so people are going by who were like in our group. They're like, Candice, do you want to go? I'm like, nope, I'm good. I just want to sit here. You sure? Ah, good. Thank you. Right? <laughs> and so uh, I'm sitting there being okay. And as I'm looking out, it was mind-blowing because... I had made peace that I, I said, I can't do it, and it has to be okay because looking at how far I came, it's further than someone like me is ever supposed to go. My life used to be a three-block radius, and now I have climbed, I don't even know what elevation I was at at that point, and so I was okay. And I sat there for maybe, I don't know, almost 10 minutes, and everyone at top who was a part of my group, they were like, you okay? Like, I'm okay. You sure you want to come? Nope, I don't want to come up. And so uh, this guy came along, and he started talking to me. And he was just real calm, right? And he's like, you're so close. I'm like, I know, but I don't want to go. He goes, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he goes, but if you wanted to go, I would walk you. I'm like, yeah, but I don't. He's like, I know, I know. And he goes, you know, you're so close. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, but you don't want to Nope, I don't want to go. And he said, it can be overwhelming sometimes. I said, yeah. And I kept look because I said I didn't want to go, but I kept looking up, you know? And he said, if you did want to go, I would walk with you every step of the way. And you could go as slow as you wanted to go. And he asked me one last time, do you want to go to the top? I said, yes. I want to go to the top. When I stood up, all my friends up there started hollering and cheering for me. Yes! And so now, like, I gotta go, you know what I mean? I'm gonna die on this mountain, but they cheered me on. And so, so literally it was like, you're, you're at an angle and then you're just going up. And uh, I remember getting to the top of the mountain, 12,160 feet elevation. And I just sat there and cried. I cried, that's all I could do. And then we had a meeting, and his name is Justin. Spirit sent him to me because he wasn't an alcoholic. They said, do you want to join the meeting? He said, what meeting? (laughs) (laughs) And just as soon as he came up, he left. I know that Spirit sent him to get me up the mountain. you know what I mean? And it was a beautiful meeting. And when we came down, we all ate together. And then I went back to the hotel room, and I cried some more. I can't believe this is my life. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And if I never climb another mountain, I climbed that one. So many things I just didn't think I was worthy of. And I didn't even have the wording for it. That's a far cry from 24 years ago. I didn't even want to do all this. I just wanted to not hurt anymore. I wanted to not feel ashamed anymore. I wanted to stop holding my head down all the time. You know, I hit a bottom when I was nine years sober and I always share it because it brought me to my knees and it challenged my date. Anything that challenges my date must go. And so I have fallen in love. I've never been in love before right? I've been in many many relationships and someone was always saying I love you and because I'm a team player, you know, <laughs> I would say I love you too, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was usually lying. Anyway, so this time I totally meant it and uh, the thing is I was six years sober when I fell in love and I had, you know, I just, I don't know, it didn't look like I thought love would look, it didn't feel like I thought love would feel, it hurt a lot, I cried all the time. It was verbally and physically abusive. I participated equally in both. You did not raise me to live like that in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember my sponsor, Gloria Decker. Gloria was just the love of my life. She was an active, longtime member of Alcoholics Anonymous. She loved the text Alcoholics Anonymous, which is where the program is. And she loved watching women's lives come together as a direct result of the actions we take in this program. And so Gloria saw me changing in this relationship, and she would talk to me and say, Candace, you got to get out of this relationship. And I would say, I can't. This is my soulmate. So at six, seven, now eight years sober, this is what love still looked like. It still looked like deception. It still looked like disrespect. It still looked like dishonor. It still looked like paranoia, right? Right? And I remember her saying that I was living drunk but talking sober. And so at that time, Gloria was 29 years. Her husband was 29 years. They had been married 39 years. They knew each other seven years prior because they had been childhood friends, had been in other relationships, and then at some point had gotten married. And they had children together. And they were low-bottom drunks. And the reason that's important is because their children had a front seat to the alley of alcoholism. Alcoholism doesn't care that you want to be a loving parent, that you want to create a safe environment. It doesn't care about any of that. But as a direct result of the principles and traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, their relationship had been healed to a state where they didn't have to explain what it was they were doing. You saw it in the manner that they treated each other. So when this woman who had given me solid direction wanted me to walk away from a relationship in which I thought I was destined to spend my life in, I'll tell you what I felt. I felt she was jealous. (laughs) That's what I felt. (laughs) I felt she clearly didn't understand our passion, right? And so uh, I remember being two years sober Two years sober, my first home group, the Bellflower Bigwood Group, super active group, and Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're like me, especially at two, two is like the formative years. You know what I mean? And so I'm watching my sponsor, everything she does, and her and Bob, he had three months longer, right? Um, they were on the dance floor, and so they were dancing together, and she was gazing up at this man like a starry-eyed teenager. And he was looking down on her with the utmost tenderness. That's love. Love empowers, it inspires, it renews, it affirms, it substantiates, it comforts, it is foundational, right? It does not demean. It does not destroy. And so I remember her becoming insistent that I leave this relationship and I decided I could no longer talk to her because she was tripping. And so I thought... (laughs) I thought I'm going to skip the middleman and go right to the source, and that's what I did. Spirit, spirit, give me a sign. Should I stay in the relationship? The police came. Oops, not that sign, right? <laughs> and uh, so I remember, I remember when the police started coming. At that point, the relationship was in the toilet, right? So I did with anyone sitting here would do. We got engaged and uh, we were engaged for six days but they were long days like in dog years you know and I remember when I took the ring off my finger. I remember that I couldn't handle it anymore. I remember throwing up every day. I remember losing weight. I remember not being able to keep my food down. That's what I remember when I couldn't do it anymore and I took the ring off my finger and the other thing that happened is the obsession to drink returned. People say a lot of things in Alcoholics Anonymous. They say things like if you forget your last drink, you're doomed to repeat it. I don't know. I remember my last drink. But what they fail to say is the way that you are living, that pain can outweigh the pain of your last drink. So what happened is my conduct made me thirsty. It didn't matter how I was running my mouth in podiums of Alcoholics Anonymous. The way I was living was completely contrary to any principles. And I remember I was angry at my sponsor because she was right and I needed her to be wrong. I was angry at spirit because my third step was more of a bulleted list of demands. And then I would ease in your will not mine be done. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I took the ring off my finger and I wanted to die. I had never been in love. You know how long it took for me. You know all that I've gone through in my life. Why would you do this to me if I'm not going to be loved? Why would you let me even fall in love? Why would you do this to me? Anyway, imagine my shock and delight when six days later I was in another relationship. And so, uh, (laughs) because sometimes you got to let the healing begin. You know what I mean? (laughs) When I got into the second relationship, small detail—they were already in one. <laughs> I'm glad we don't judge in AA. Anyway, so, uh, so, you know, the fact that they were still in one when mine was over was more of an outside issue, and I didn't need to talk about it, right? It was bringing me down. But uh, I do remember this. I remember people talking about me, you know, because I was pretty crazy at that point. And the police were back at the house. It was a violent relationship. I lost all the women I sponsor because they no longer felt safe with me because I wanted to drink. And I started sharing that I want to drink. I started sharing that I don't want to be here. And this is why, especially to our new friends, you know, I've been taught to train my feet in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not about my mouth, my feet. I wanted to drink, but I kept showing up to Alcoholics Anonymous. One of my commitments at my home group was as a greeter. (laughs) So, I would come, but I would, you know, I'm in pain. I'm not like silently in pain either, you know? So I'm at the door and I'm sobbing. (laughs) (laughs) If you want what we have, you know what I mean? And it was absolutely hideous, but let me tell you what else it was. It was sober. You can't just see me like tonight. Tonight my life is good, right? I just started my own company, and I have people in my life that I love. I have a sober family of people that I sponsor that I absolutely would go to bat for at any second. I think they are extraordinary individuals, and I feel so blessed that they have asked me to share their journey with them. You can't just see me During these times, you have to see me when I've made decisions based on self that have placed me in a position to become thirsty. You need to see how I walk through it because when your turn comes and everyone gets a turn, it might be finances. It might be the death of a loved one. But when your turn comes, you need to know that you can walk through it sober. You know, when I was in that second relationship, uh, I was just in torment. The reality shows make it look fun going from one person to the other, but it's painful in real life, you know? And I remember we were in the bed, and I looked over, and I asked, if I drink, would you would you leave? And they said no. And then I asked, if I drink, would you drink with me? And they said yes. This is a very real and ruthless disease, isn't it? People have gotten upset when I share that. You know how we... We're just on a corner, now we're like a priest. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, I can't believe you would ask another alcoholic. It's like, oh, okay, then pray for me. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> because I suffer from the disease of alcoholism. I think we're confused, right, as to the nature of the conversation. <laughs> I suffer from the disease of alcoholism. It's not a disease of the pretty, the considerate, the honest. It's a deliberate, debilitating destructive disease and so my thinking changes I start operating from that strange mental blank spot right that it talks about in the book and so my thinking becomes I'm thirsty you're here it would be rude of me to not offer you a drink that's another reason why I don't hang out with everyone in AA the reason that my date never changed and I define sobriety is I don't take anything at any time that affects me from my neck up That means I don't drink near beer because I'm not near sober. I don't smoke marijuana with or without a doctor telling me I can. And I stabilize my mood with the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Those are personal decisions. And I had to make that decision for myself. I'm telling you something, it's hard to stay here. It's hard to stay here. Some days are just rugged, you know what I mean? And so my day didn't change because it was a sober household and the next morning I got a hold of my sponsor. She was dying from a rare lung disease. She was in and out of the hospital and oftentimes I wouldn't even tell her what was going on because I didn't want to burden her. And that morning I told her what had happened and she said, Candace, you don't have the right to jeopardize someone else's sobriety. Stop quoting the book and start living by the principles. And I asked her, well, what do I do? And she goes, get away from them. Leave them alone. You know, they're so over the top. And uh, and I remember ending the relationship so that person drank like a week later. Here's the deal. If I can't get you sober, I can't get you drunk. I have gone back through the work. I've made direct amends for that. And I I do not absolve myself right from the behavior, but I, I can't get you drunk. So I remember going back through the, through the steps and, uh, you know, step one has to hurt. If step one doesn't hurt, I don't need step two. And step two is being restored to principled living. That's what sanity is for me, right? So that I can turn my thoughts and my actions over to the care of a power greater than myself. But it was the inventory. When For me to do an inventory at nine years sober, After I'd come into Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm putting all this stuff on paper that's so painful to look at because I can't say I was drunk when I did it. It was just painful. And so I'll give you an example of the resentment. There's a resentment, fear, and sex inventory, right? So the first column in the resentment inventory, person-placing institution, right, that you have gotten a resentment over that you're pissed off at column two what they do you know what I mean so when I'm in untreated alcoholism I live in columns one and two right what they did what they did what they did and uh <laughs> but now that I want to save my life and all you know I'm going to go on into column three and so so here we go I'm pissed off at Tiffany <gasps> what'd she do she keyed my car oh Okay, so really we can just stop and character assassinate Tiffany. You know what I mean? But okay, let's go move on. So column three, it affects my ambition. I wanted us to be like sisters. It affects my personal relations. I thought we were friends. It affects my self-esteem. She didn't think much of me or she would never have done that. It affects my pocketbook. She doesn't want to pay for the cost of repairs. That's going to put me in arrears. It affects my sex relations. I don't feel sexy when my car is keyed, right? And so so then I'm going to move into column four. Column four is very specific. It asks me, where was I to blame? It doesn't say my part. I don't even know where that came from. It asks me, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? Let me sum it up. I slept with her partner. She found out and keyed my car. Oh! (laughs) That's so different than when we started. You know what I mean? Because you remember before in Columns 1 and 2, we're giving like mad attitude. You know what I mean? And we're getting our friends all involved. And and then you move on upon further investigation. Huh. So, yeah. You remember in Column 3, I wanted us to be like sisters. What sister does that? Come on now. And you multiply that behavior by how many times? How many times? I gotta get it out of me. I gotta get, there's no way. I can't can't shoulder it. And then the fear inventory, the fear inventory changed my life. I do fear inventories all over the country. The fear inventory changed my life. The fear, why I had the fear, column three, what would it look like if it were removed? I always say healed. Because it says in the book, we let God demonstrate through us who he would have us be. Why am I doing a third step if I don't feel this fear can be removed? When I first did a fear inventory when I was new, I would just list the fears, put why I had them, and then pray. That's not enough. I need to see exactly if this were out of my life, it would look like this. I would feel like that. I would behave like that. Because if I can't pull from new behavior, I'm going to pull from what I always did. But at nine years sober, I was afraid I was too damaged to be loved, too ugly to be loved, too used up to be loved. Because of the things my family had done, no one would ever want to love me. This was nine years sober. I didn't know I felt that way about myself. And I'm not talking about ugly in physical appearance. I'm talking spiritual deformity. When I do all the things I've done out there, if that's not healed, that's what I'm bringing to a relationship. And then the sex inventory. (laughs) So juicy. Anyway, so (laughs) sex, I can't get into it. But you know what I mean? So the sex inventory is asking me, where did I arouse jealousy, suspicion, bitterness, and doubt? It's what I do. When I'm insecure and I have low self-esteem, I do a lot of game playing. I do a lot of things to make you prove you love me. Where was I inconsiderate when I said hello? (laughs) You thought we were going to be partners. Eh, You know what I mean? I just need you to be cute, have a little money, and be freaky. That's it, you know? and uh, That's just me, I know. So, uh, whom did I hurt? Are there children in the equation? I tell women that I sponsor who are parents and have children under the age of 18, you don't get to bring your partners home just because someone said you're cute. You don't get to do it. It's not okay. There are too many unhealthy people out there, right? And the beautiful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is it doesn't talk down to me. It it speaks directly to me, but I'm looking down. And so the next question takes me by the chin and lifts my head up. It's a game changer. It asks me, what could I have done differently? What? You mean I can do something different? So the next time someone who's in a relationship slithers over to me, I get to say, no, thank you. I'm not disrespecting myself today. I didn't know I got to say, no, thank you. And I didn't know that I didn't know. And then it asked me to list my ideals. I just went for it. I went for broke. The top thing on my ideals list is a partner I can pray with. If we cannot pray together, we cannot lay together. You could never have told me that that would have been of any importance to me at all, not with my background. Alcoholics Anonymous is everything. It's everything. It's everything to me. My grandmother raised me when I was little, and I loved her. She was my safe space, you know? But there were things going on in the house, but she was my safe space. And at night, I was terrified of the dark, and so I I slept next to her, But I loved her so much that I started thinking, if she ever died, I wouldn't want to be on the planet. I was little, you know? And so as she slept, I would watch her breathe, and I began to pace my breathing to match her breathing. Because in my childlike mind, I thought, if she dies, I want to die with her. My mom is an alcoholic. She's an alcoholic by her own admission. She was very young when she had me. She wasn't done doing what she needed to do. I didn't understand it then, but I understand it. Today, My mother's very well endowed. Mm-mm. And uh, true story, she believes in packing her pistol in her bosom because she's quirky like that. And so the way she would communicate her needs and wants is she would call my grandmother up on the phone. I knew who was on the other end because my grandmother would look at the receiver and start to grip it tightly And she would look at the phone and say, absolutely not. Slam down the phone. A short while later, my mother would pop over and shoot out all of the windows. Let us be clear, I didn't want what she had, right? There are cousins and uncles in my family who suffer from the disease of alcoholism. It's not why I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic because of how much they drink, what happens to them when they drink. I'm an alcoholic because of what happens to me when I drink. When I take a drink, I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I can assure you there will be movement, you know? There are cousins and uncles in my family who their alcoholism manifests in the form of violence, right? So some members favored shooting, I favor stabbing tomato-tomato. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when... When we all got together, the police were going to want an invitation. You know what I mean? And so just a holiday at my mom's house. My mother's a big gal, big bone gal. And uh, she believes in cooking from scratch. I don't. Why? Because it's annoying, right? And so uh, anyway, so um, I would go over to my mom's house. And my mother is a, a, an admitted hope-to-die alcoholic. And so when I go over, she's getting her drunk on. But there are... Uh, Ways in which I know when it's time to leave And where we are And that's by the music that's playing Right So the goal Is to get the plate of food Before the music goes to a dark place, right? So you come over, you know what I'm talking about, you didn't just get here. So, so you go over, and I know we're in a good space because the music is R&B but upbeat, you know what I mean, you know what I mean? And so, and then she moves on, she may get into a little Diana Ross and the Supremes, a little nostalgia, you know what I mean, a little feistiness with the shoulder, you know. And then as, as we move into dust, she's been drinking all day, right? She's getting a little melancholy now, right? So she may go in like a Sam Cooke type thing. You know what I mean? And, uh, but by nightfall, no, no, not nightfall. By nightfall, she's been drinking all day. She's been thinking all day, but not thinking happy, joyous, and free thoughts. She's thinking of who left when she thought he was going to stay. She's thinking of how the world has not treated her fairly, so now we move into the blues, you know what I mean? B.B. King, you know what I mean? Etta James, you know what I mean? Billie Holiday, my baby don't me, want to slash my wrist, that type of thing. So once you get to that space, forget about it. If you haven't gotten the plate already, I don't know what to tell you, you know, and... uh, And I don't want you to think her rude, right? Because what happens is she starts to to think, then she starts to cry, and then she gets pissed off and want to fight. So you will get a plate. You just may limp out with it, you know? And I remember when I was in junior high and my friends were in junior high and they were drinking and having a good time and I wanted to have a good time too. It's so simple in the beginning. The thing is, when I take a drink, I cease to care about you. No, I can't lie to you. I feel too close. I don't care about you before I take a drink. Now that I've taken the drink, I'm inclined to share with you that I don't care about you. There we go. Woo, freedom. And so, uh, do you know what I mean? I need clean lines in my life, you know, clean lines. So, this is what I find. I find... Like let's say you run into someone 3 days later who's still smarting from an alleged injustice, right? I find that we get over things far quicker than they do. Because I would run into them, it's clear to everyone that I'm back in my happy place, you know, but their energy would be so negative. Ooh, so negative. And I would be like, "Honey, turn it over. You know, get free." Ooh. So anyway, here's what happened. I don't know, was I 16, 17? It's all a blur. I was drunk. So I was living with my godmother. She had purchased her Mercedes. She had it for about six months. She was leaving to attend the Black Caucus Conference in Washington. She was going to be away for a week. She took her car, parked it in her driveway, took her keys, placed them in the candy dish in her home. Only thing missing from that equation was me. And uh, as luck would have it, I was going to the club later on that night. So she, like, took a shuttle, you know, to the airport. And when she left, it's foggy. I can't be sure. But I think she said something like, don't touch my car. I don't know. I can't really, I can't really recall with accuracy. So the other thing about me, I'm just going to let you in on all the secrets. The thing is, I'm more of a sliding scale type of gal. Uh, so what that looks like in your life is when you say something, I feel I have wiggle room. You know what I mean? (laughs) But when I say something, it's law. Get clear, right? Because I want us to be friends. Anyway, so... So she had said something like, don't touch the car, but I know she didn't mean it. And so I uh, was going to this club called The Whiskey later on that night. So I took the car out for a spin, you know, getting in the zone. You know what I mean? You can't just go to a club without being in the zone, right? And so that whole day was spent with Candace and Self, how Self would be featured, how Self would debut, how Self would be presented. You know how we are. And so as I'm driving the car consumed with Self, I ran into someone else's car. (laughs) What? And so uh, my hat's off to the person that has a valid driver's license and insurance. It was not happening for me. Another thing about me, so many quirks, I know. But another is important. I'm a personal bubble type of gal. Just kind of need it. You know what I mean? When people are talking to me and they're right here, I'm just like, back up. Are you needy? You know what I mean? I don't understand. So the guy whose car I ran into was not a respecter of the personal bubble. So, and his his energy was so negative. Oh my God, <laughs> this guy, seriously. You know, I'm like in the club mode. He's like all aggressive and he's talking to me and spittles are coming out. And, and so he wanted some type of information. I don't know. I don't have it, not my car, you know. So the whole front end of the car now has a permanent grin. And so I just leave. <laughs> He was ruining my chi. And so uh, I drive the car back into the driveway, take the keys, place them in the candy dish, call my friend, tell her that we're going to take a cab because I had made a commitment to her. And so uh, I knew when my godmother returned, she was going to be none too pleased about the car situation. She was, in fact, quite peeved. She had seen the movie Tough Love. I've never seen this movie. Uh, I don't desire to see this movie and the effect it had on her was profound, I can assure you, that she drew up a contract of things I was expected to do for having wrecked her car. She wanted me to do things like volunteer my time and give myself to some charitable organization. I thought, ooh, what an order, I can't go through with it, you know. (laughs) uh, But I remember she kept repeating over and over what I had done as if I didn't get it the first time, you know, and I just started to get a little upset about it, and this is my thinking so important, always pivotal, was uh, you have insurance. Why are you tripping, right? Now I didn't say that, you know what I mean? But that was like how I interpreted it. And there is no column for an untreated alcoholism. There is, no col- there is no accountability in untreated alcoholism. Let me share with you that during the time that I lived with her, during the time that she opened her home to me, I was in and out of foster homes. So that's what my thank you looked like to her. That was what loyalty looked like for me. And then I become upset that she's holding me to any type of standard. And the reality is she refused to move past it. And I thought, you know what? (laughs) I'm moving to greener pasture. So I moved out. I remember working for a record label when they hired me at the label. You know, I was young, cute, cocky. Cocky's different than confident, right? And uh, I remember they hired me as a receptionist. But you know what? I felt they were grooming me for CEO, you know? And uh, some people say delusional. I say visionary. And, <laughs> and, so, and I felt optimistic, too, right? So what happened is I started to get promotions, right? And I worked in the promotion department, so I promoted a lot of multi-platinum artists. And... Uh, It was a dream life, is what it was. But the thing is, I'm an active alcoholic. The more I got promoted, the more I got loaded. Every day I felt like a little kid playing dress-up. Every day I felt they were going to find that my mother was from the ghetto in South Central who was a violent alcoholic, and they were going to come to me and tell me, you're not one of us, you don't belong here, leave. That's alcoholism. Alcoholism centers in fear, lack, limitation. You're not going to make the grade. The rug is going to be pulled out from underneath you at any moment. That's why I'm grateful to the members of Alcoholics Anonymous that have taught me to train my feet, shut my mouth and train my feet. What ended up happening is the grandmother who raised me died. And by the time I found out, she had already been buried. Because that's how I'm living. I'm so busy living in illusions, delusions, and facades that I can't show up for the person who sacrificed her life for me. What do you do with that information? I don't have a sponsor to talk to. There's not an inventory process to work through it. And... uh, My head, always talking, told me that I was living and working in a world built on make-believe. It told me I needed to get real, which I don't know how to do. I just know how to get drunk. So I resigned. Literally, it told me that's what we needed to do. That's what we do. I just walked away from a career that I had built. Who's the next indicated step. And I'm not a periodic. I drink, period. So I had made a decision to market myself in exchange for a drink. I refer to this as the public relations phase of my development and uh, <laughs> funny thing, quick story, I'm going to squeeze it in. So a few years ago I was asked to speak in Winnipeg, right? So I've been to Canada but, uh, it was cold. It was a snowstorm. But I almost didn't know that because they didn't want to let me in, right? So I'm minding my own business. I'm coming from sunny California. I had shades on, flip-flops. I had long braids. So cute. Anyway, so I go in and like I, I took like a super early flight. I've been flying all day. And the customs guy asked, and like it seemed as if he had an attitude, right? But I know I'm tired, so I said, it's probably me, okay? I was 12 years sober. And... Uh, he asked me, do you, do you have some type of stigma? Is that why you're wearing your shades? <laughs> so I take them off with a flourish. And I said, Oh, you can't wear shades in Canada. Put them down, right? <laughs> so he's asking me questions. Invasive. You know what I mean? Things like, have you ever been arrested, right? So uh, I said, no. He goes, so you've never been arrested? Now when he asked me the second time, I knew... I should say yes, but I already said no, and I, had, I didn't want it to look like I was lying, right? <laughs> I was, but when you commit, you just got to commit. And so, uh, so he asked me one last time, have you ever been arrested? Now I know I should say yes, but darn it, we're going to ride it through. I said, nope. So he excused himself. He went to speak with a, a woman. She came over with him. Now she's asking me, have I ever been arrested? No, I have not. No, I have not. You know, and uh, so she walked like a few feet over, came back, held up two sheets of paper. She said, so this isn't you. So I was like, oh, you mean those arrests, right? (laughs) What's with Winnipeg? And uh, so she informed me they weren't going to let me in the country. I stood at the turning point, right? So what I did is I just talked to her. I said, the woman on those sheets of paper, you don't want her in your country. She doesn't have any respect for people, for traditions, right? For rules, for families. You don't want her in your country, but the woman standing before you, you absolutely want in your country. I'm an active member of my community. I'm respected. I mentor a number of women. I'm invited guests here to speak at a conference of Alcoholics Anonymous. They've also gotten special approval for me to go into jail to speak to a group of women while I'm here. Someone like me, you absolutely want in your country. And then I left it alone. Because the reality is my past is always going to be my past. It's always going to be my past. And she wasn't giving me information from yesterday. That was 12 years ago at that time. I was 12 years sober. So she walked away and she was talking to, I'm assuming, her superior. And she was repeating almost verbatim what I had told her, right? And so I'm in the back giving her, like, mental support, you know, waving, <laughs> nodding my head. <laughs> and they talked for a couple of minutes and they dropped their voice real low. I couldn't hear anything. And she came back and she said, welcome to Winnipeg. Like, it was a, it's the small victories, but they're victories, you know what I mean? Anyway, that's my story went back. So, at this point, so I'm, I'm on the streets, I'm drinking, I'm doing all this stuff. I told you, you know, in the beginning, uh, it was very different when I started that lifestyle, right? The investors felt very good about the product. They were willing to invest heavily and repeatedly, you know what I mean? And then when you start losing your hair and your teeth, they get all uppity. So my stock started to plunge, and uh, it's like one day you're shopping at Neiman's and next you're in Walmart, you know what I mean? uh, So when I was out there, I got pregnant. And I'm never gonna do anything that jeopardizes the life of an unborn child. I'm just, I can't be that woman. I can't be her. But I told you I'm not a periodic. I drink period. So when I found out that I was pregnant, I made a decision to terminate that pregnancy. I'm not going to weigh in on where I stand, because when I'm drinking, I don't stand. I knew how to lay down, but I had never stood for anything before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I found out I'm pregnant, and I will share this with you, when I was growing up, I love my grandmother, and I know my grandmother loved me. But I will tell you, there were men who would come in the home often, and they were fond of children in a way that is deeply sick and unnatural. And they were fond of me a lot. So because of how I drank, I just didn't want to risk having a child in my care that I couldn't protect. I just didn't want to risk it. And only someone who's a normie would say, well, why wouldn't you stop drinking? Because that's crazy. That's asking me to not breathe. That wasn't even, that's not on the boxes that I I could check. So I made a decision when I found out to terminate the pregnancy. I then learned via every news station, every TV station, every radio station, that a member of my family had been arrested for raping, torturing, dismembering my eight-year-old little girl cousin. And the person who did that is my mother. So now, what do you do with that? Because I'm not coming from a huge record label with this great position in this great area. I'm on the streets. It's a five and dime area. I look like a five and dime individual. There's a baby in my stomach and my mother is on the news for something that's just horrific. I can't even comprehend it. And I remember in that moment thinking that the way my life looked right then would be the way my life would look forevermore. I had always believed once your destiny had been determined, nothing could ever be done to change it. I remember thinking anything of value, of worth, of dignity is no longer afforded to someone like me, so just forget about it. It is not until I came into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that you told me if I wanted what you had and I was willing to do what you did, my life could be reshaped. I went through that pregnancy as if I were not pregnant, jumping in and out of moving cars because my behavior was so outlandish at that point that I was putting my own life in jeopardy and when you have to go, you have to go. And I remember when I went into labor. When I went into labor, I had already been up getting loaded three days in a row. I don't ever want to forget that because lipstick won't fix that type of shame. I remember passing out and coming to because of contractions. And they had put this thing on my stomach so I could hear my child's heartbeat. And I just, I don't even know, there was racing thoughts, I was crying, I was praying, please let my baby be okay, please let my baby be okay, please, please let my baby be okay. And I remember after 17 hours of labor, giving birth to my daughter. I named her Serenity, because I just wanted peace. I come from a world of hustlers. I come from a place of if I say this is what it is, this is what it is. Alcoholics Anonymous says we don't care what you say; we want we want to see what you do. My dad was a pimp. Ooh, that's so harsh. Manager. <laughs> My daddy was a manager, and his brothers were too. And so, uh, you know, so the 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 odds for me weren't great, right? Manager dad, murder mom. I remember holding my daughter and crying because I was overwhelmed, step one. I'm overwhelmed and I'm holding her and she's so beautiful, but she kept shaking. She kept shaking because she was detoxing. It's not even possible that I'm going to stop. People say things like a moment of clarity, especially when they go to jail overnight. You ask them, how'd you get sober? I went to jail overnight. I had a moment of clarity. (laughs) I said, girl, when I went to jail overnight, that was a nap. You know what I mean? But You have to talk to me about more than that. Anyway, so, but for me, a moment of clarity without direction is simply torture. I don't want to see me without any direction on what to do with me. And people may have given me some friendly direction or suggestion, but when I'm in untreated alcoholism, when I'm not ready, I can't hear you. And in that moment, I wished I were ready. I felt like I was ready, but apparently I wasn't because my daughter was three when I left the hospital. They said, she's not coming home with you, but I already knew that. I didn't even, it was six years before I even looked at that moment of what that felt like to go back into the area that I was in. And I had been pregnant. Now I'm not pregnant, but there's no baby to show for it. I don't even, it took a minute for me to even allow myself to go because it was so painful. For me, I heal in stages. I can't just do an inventory and then it's better. I do an inventory and it's it's a little bit more healed. It's a little bit better. And then I stay longer. I have more experiences. I sponsor people. I take them through the work. Rav and I were talking about it, right? Because when I start taking my babies to the work, they're all in. They're all in. And so I get to address more of my stuff taking them through the work. I remember when I used to have this fear and now I don't. So I left the hospital without my daughter. By the time I got sober, my daughter was almost two years old. And by the time I tried to find her, I went through a recovery home. A recovery home has nothing to do with AA. I understand it's big business now, but it has nothing to do with AA. But I'm grateful that they gave me a safe place to lay my head. And panels, members of AA would come in on H&I panels I am an active member of HNI, have been for years. I have jail panels, I have recovery home panels. And I remember telling the director that I had a daughter. She was shocked. She asked me where she was. I said, I don't know. She gave me a number. It led to a series of numbers. And then the end of it, they said she had been adopted. They weren't giving me any information. And in the eyes of the law, I was no longer considered her parent. I was devastated. I was four months sober when I found that out. I had started feeling good about myself. I was getting up every day. I was doing my chores in the house. We were going to meetings. And then in that one call, it just all came back. And I remember crying in the speaker that night. I don't even know how he looked because I couldn't lift my head up. And the women in the house knew what happened because there were women who had children in the house. And I would watch them. And I just thought, maybe I could be different. Maybe I could be a mom. Maybe you could help me. One call, it was over. And so I say get sober because you want to get sober. Don't get sober because you think you're going to get something back. My daughter is 25 years old. I have never seen her. But when she finds me, she's going to find a woman of self-respect, of dignity, of value, of character, of worth. I celebrate my daughter every year. Every year I do something to celebrate her. When she turned 21, I sent a mother and her daughter to the spa all day. I think when she was 14, I had a party at the recovery home I had gone through. And we played a lot of games and I had, I had it fully catered. We had prizes and gifts for every little kid that was there and their parents came. This one little kid got a doll. Let me tell you something. Don't ever play musical chairs with these children. They're vicious. You know what I mean? If they don't get a chair, they fall out and holler. And I'm like, oh, my God, give her another gift. Give her another gift, you know? (laughs) But I remember at that party, we sang happy birthday to Serenity. And at the end of it, this girl, she's probably like eight years old, and she came over. And, you know, her mom probably said, go say thank you. You know what I mean? She was all cute with a little doll. She comes over, taps me. I'm like, how are you doing? She goes, I just want to say thank you. And I said, oh, you're welcome. Did you have fun? She goes, yeah. And I said, is that your doll? She goes, yeah. She goes, I named her Serenity. I I, I cried like a crazy person. I probably frightened her. You know what I mean? (laughs) All the things I get to do here... Alcoholism doesn't want me to share these things with you It wants me to live in shame It wants me to not talk about it I can't tell you how many people I see coming in and out Because they're holding on to this stuff They think they're the only one You can't top me That's why my babies love me I'm like, it's, tell me all of it You know what I mean? So we could work it through the steps And we can heal That's what we do here We heal here My life is amazing It is extraordinary It is exquisite So, I found out three years ago that my daughter, no, I found out last year that my daughter tried to find me three years ago. And I'm like, well, I'm registered with post-adoptions. I've been registered with them since I was six years sober. And every so often I send them different things for my daughter. So I have a lot of stuff for her that I keep, but I also will send them like pictures and letters for her. And I had called to see if I should send any more. And I just happened to ask, how would I know if she tried to find me? And so the person who handles that particular file said, let me check. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. I'm on hold for like 10 minutes. I was actually on my way to Step Ashore to talk. And uh, she comes back to the phone and she said, looks like she tried to find you three years ago. And so to me that was like yesterday, you know what I mean? I'm like, what? Is she going to call me? What? What do you mean three years ago? How come? How come she's not in my life? And they said, because she didn't fill out the consent form. And I said, but I filled it out. And so then they cited legislation and policies and just craziness. You know what I mean? And I said, even if she doesn't fill it out, give her my information. Even if she gets it and walks away, I need her to know that I never stop thinking about her, that I never stop loving her. And they said there's nothing they could do, and I took it up the flagpole, and the supervisor told me that she couldn't help me, but she kept referring to the letters that I wrote my like details of the letters. And then I realized she's read the letters. I sent to him, you won't help me, but you've read my letters, why? Anyway, so that was another conversation. <clears throat> and uh, probably amends at some point needs to be made. But uh, so I'm registered with 23 Me and Ancestry.com, you know. I never thought the day would come when my life would be what it is. I just never thought. I hope she finds me. But in the meantime, I sponsor women. And some of them have kids. And I'm a safe space. My mother has killed two children, ages two and eight, right? So they're currently investigating her for the two-year-old, which she killed before the eight-year-old. There are years I take my cake and I just want to see my mom sitting there. It'll never happen. She's sick. She's not remorseful. She's sick. And so what I get to do is the women that have done the work that have healed... I get to go to them. That's what I get to do. My case is not different. The last thing I want to share is this. Because it feels a little heavy right now. So anyway, so... And my lips are getting dry. You know, the, the funny thing is it's totally like off topic. But like when people are talking, they have that little stuff right here and you just want to tell them. You know what I mean? But you really can't. That's why you always see me doing this. I'm like, if I can't see you, we're just going to make sure. Anyway. So um, edit that. I don't want that on my talk. Anyway, so. So I get to go places in Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of them was LaConnor Washington. And when I'm invited, usually my host will take me around to see the sights, right? So we were driving, and they are known for their tulip festival. So hundreds and thousands of people come from all over to walk through these tulips, see these tulips. But there's like fields of tulips. I'm not talking like a garden. I'm talking like fields of like these red and yellow and green, not green, because if you're wrong, they would be like, there's no green tulips, you know what I mean? But all these beautiful tulips. And so my host and I were talking and driving and he looks at me, he got inspired. He goes, do you want to walk through the tulips, right? And I thought, no. So um, (laughs) before I answered, I took a moment, I paused. You've taught me to do that. I did a spot check inventory. So in my head it was a woman like me, I was 18 the first time they invited me there. I've been to so many places, I've done so many things for the first time, but still the insidiousness of alcoholism crept in and said someone like you doesn't get to do something like that. That's for the refined women. And so I inventoried it, and I remembered what Alcoholics Anonymous told me. Alcoholics Anonymous said, say yes to your life, say yes to new experiences. And so I looked at him, and I said, yes, I would love to walk through the tulips. Now, I had five-and-a-half-inch heels on because no one told me we were going to be tulip walking. And, uh, but I was walking in the tulips, sinking in the mud, walking in the tulips, sinking in the mud. And then when they invited me back to speak again the following year, They didn't even have to wait. I was like, are we going to the tulips? I got my shoes. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so for me, you took me from alleys, situations that stripped me of my dignity. And as a direct result of what we do here, your love and the direction that I've been given, you have transformed me into a woman that walks through tulips. How do we become? By doing. So that is what I wish for you. Not because you want to, but just because now that we are sober, we have options. Thank you so much for letting me share tonight. I appreciate it.